Well, uh, we are going through the book of John, and uh, we are looking at the, uh, the seven miracles that John records in his gospel. Uh, he only records seven. John did a lot more than that. Um, but uh, there are seven in particular that he... Oh, man, my, my notes aren't coming up. Oh, here we go. I've got it right here. But it helps to have my notes. But um, in each of these miracles, uh, John is peeling back another layer of who Jesus is. And, uh, and he's wanting to show us the glory of the Christ that we might believe into him, in who Jesus said he is. And uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the, the miracle of Jesus turning water to wine. And uh, bottom line, underneath that miracle, what, what John is wanting us to realize and see, that Jesus is our ultimate purifier. Uh, Jesus is just kind of painting a picture on the surface that uh, it's going to be his shed blood that's going to cover our sin. It's not the, it's not the ceremonial pots that uh, people use to wash the outside, to purify the outside. Jesus took those ceremonial pots. He told the servants to fill them to the brim with water. This was six of them and probably about 150 gallons of water. And Jesus turned the water into wine. And it's a wine that is going to last for all eternity. It's, it's, it's an overabundance that Jesus is telling us that nev- it's never going to run dry. dry. So that was uh, in chapter 2. And then in chapter 4, we looked at the Dolmelman son. And uh, underneath that miracle, John is one wanting to help us realize that Jesus is the word and his word it means power and just at his spoken word he has the ability to heal uh, as you first begin John chapter 4 you, uh, you know the story about the woman at the well and, uh, and the woman at the well went back into the, the town and told everybody the Messiah that she had met and he knew everything about her, and they all came out, and Jesus stayed two more days in Samaria. Samaria, a place that all the Jews hated and uh, would never go through. They always went around. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment. And uh, the Bible says that he spent two more days in Samaria just teaching people. He didn't do one miracle. And the Bible says that the people, the Samaritans, believe that he was the Messiah for the, enti- for the world. Just by Jesus' words, they knew that he was the Messiah. And from that, he then goes into Cana, his own people. And uh, he knows that he's not going to be well received because they're looking for signs. They want to see Jesus do the next miracle. 
And so while he's there, this nobleman comes up. He's come from Capernaum. He's probably working, uh, serving in Herod's court. So he's an important official. But he's desperate because his son is near death. And he's heard that Jesus uh, can heal people. So out of desperation, he begs Jesus to go back with him to Capernaum to touch his son that he might be made well. And Jesus doesn't go back to Capernaum. Jesus just merely says, go home, your son is well. Jesus just spoke the word. And through that word, 20 miles away from where his son was, immediately, the Bible says, his son was healed. And so Jesus in that miracle is just helping us to see that Jesus is the word and his word is power and we can trust and believe in his word. And then last week we looked at the, the healing of the invalid. Uh, Ron, can you turn me up a little bit? I really like to hear myself and I don't want to feel like I'm screaming here. Okay, that's, that's better. But uh, he heals an invalid at uh, the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Uh, and there's a multitude of invalids, people who are suffering um, at this pool. And Jesus sees one person. Jesus didn't heal everybody in this event. He just healed one person. And in healing this person, he told this person to get up, take your mat, and walk. And then John says, and it was the Sabbath day. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing here in John chapter 5. And he knew what he was asking the invalid to do. He was asking the invalid to break Sabbath law. Now, Jesus wasn't breaking Sabbath. Jesus was breaking the man-made law of the Sabbath. For you see, God still desires for us to be merciful. God desires for us to do loving and kind things uh, to others, even if it's the Sabbath, because that's the heart of God. And that's what Jesus did in John chapter 5, and it was the Sabbath. And so this guy got up, took his mat, and he started walking away. He was heading to, to the temple. And guess who saw him carrying his mat? The Pharisees. Pharisees knew who this person was. Uh, Pharisees knew that this guy was healed. But they didn't say anything about Jesus having healed him. They were offended by the fact that he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. But Jesus did this, did this miracle to go to a deeper conversation with the Pharisees following this episode. He knew he was going to have this conversation with them. And Jesus was telling them that he is the Lord of Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about Jesus. And we learned some other things about Jesus in John chapter 5 as well. Not only does he have authority over the Sabbath, but he has the authority over judgment. He has the authority over life and death. 
And John is helping us to see through these miracles what the message is underneath the miracle that we need to uh, understand so that we can see the glory of Jesus Christ. And so that was the third miracle. And as we go along, these these uh, miracles continue to unfold. They get bigger and bolder, and we learn more about who Jesus is. And this morning, we are going to look at the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Most of us are very familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, this is... Uh, this is The one miracle that's in all four Gospels. And I have preached this um, miracle several several times, but it's always been with a different bent. But this morning, we're going to get to what's underneath this miracle so that we can see the glory of Christ that John wants us to see. So I'm going to read the first 15 verses. And uh, we don't have time to read the whole text this morning, but we're going to kind of go through the whole text this morning of John chapter 6, because it's significant. So verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down, With his disciples, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was, a, there was much grass in this place. So the man sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people uh, saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This uh, feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, um, between verse 40, 47 of chapter 5 and, and verse 1 of chapter 6, there's about six months 
of uh, Jesus' ministry that has incur- occurred. And if you have a, uh, a tool, it's called the Harmony of the Gospels, where you see all the stories about Jesus' life and ministry uh, in chronological order. Uh, during these six months, there's a lot of ministry that has taken place uh, that John doesn't mention, but that you can pick up in other Gospels. Um, and one of the events that has, has occurred... Uh, was the beheading of John the Baptist. But, uh, and so here we, ha- here we are in, in chapter 6, and, and John wants to make sure that he gets this, this uh, fourth sign in, uh, in his, uh, his gospel present- presentation. And again, we're very familiar with this, with this story. But I want to get to the, uh, the story beneath the story because the miracle of the feeding of the people is far more than just natural bread i mean what jesus did was was profound but uh the spiritual aspect of this miracle is what people didn't see not even the disciples the disciples didn't get it. And they were the one, ones serving the bread. They, they saw Jesus taking this little boy's lunch, and out of nowhere, he was able to feed, you know, 5,000 plus people, probably far more there at this event. They just counted the men. And so the, the disciples were in on this miracle, but they didn't get it. And the reason why... This crowd is here in this story is because they've heard that Jesus does miracles. And they're watching, they're following Jesus because they're in it for what Jesus is going to do next. Jesus is very entertaining. And as they follow, as they've come to hear about Jesus and what he's going to do, no one brought a meal. They were all empty-handed, except this one little boy who had a smart mom who packed him a lunch. And the disciples said, well, this is the only thing we've got, Jesus. And Jesus says, bring it here. Now, we're not going to go into the testing, the, the conversation that he had with Philip and, and uh, Andrew this morning. Uh, we don't have time for that. But uh, Jesus did test them, two disciples, and they failed the test, okay? But Jesus didn't rebuke them. He just had them sit all the people down. And, uh, and Jesus did the miracle. And everybody was satisfied um, as much as they wanted. And then Jesus told the disciples to go around and pick up uh, the leftover bread. And it's not a coincidence that there were 12 baskets of bread left over. One for each of the disciples. They have seen Jesus do a profound miracle. And we're going to get into this more next week um, in verses 16 through 21. But... They didn't get it, even as they had this basket right in front of them. 
And then also, not only did the disciples not get it, but the crowd didn't get it. Look what the, the, the conclusion the multitude came to in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving them, then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain himself. The crowd saw what Jesus did, and they concluded that this is the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is the king. This is the king who's going to come and conquer Rome for us now. And we're going to, we're going to take him and he, we're going to make him our king now. And so they were realizing these things about Jesus, but they had their own agenda as to who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus is the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Yes, Jesus is king of the Jews. He's going to be the king of the world. But his time had not yet come, and Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. And Jesus knew he couldn't go there, and the Bible says he withdrew away. That same thing happened at the healing of the invalid in John chapter 5. After he healed the invalid, the invalid, Jesus kind of skedaddled. He got out of the way because he didn't want people to take advantage of who Jesus was and make him that he wasn't ready to become at that moment. So they believed Jesus but they believed Jesus according to their own agenda. Jesus realized that these guys were not getting it. You know, there's a Nike ad that's come out this week uh, um, concerning Colin Kaepernick. And I'm not going to go into that, but the, the, the ad says this. Uh, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. Now, Jesus knew that that's not where the multitude was. That's not where his disciples were. They knew, you know, that Jesus was somebody special, but they didn't believe in Jesus to the point that they would have sacrificed everything. I want you to know this morning, friend, that Jesus believes in you. And in believing in you, it was worth sacrificing everything to him, including himself. That's how important you and I and this world is to him. That's not where the crowd was, and that's not where the disciples were. And so... The rest of John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, 
in 22 through verse uh, uh, 71, 71, I believe, 50 verses, is going to um, talk about, Jesus is going to talk about him being the bread. Again, the, the um, and so in verses 16 through 21, there's another miracle that takes place. We're going to skip that this morning, and we're going to go to the next day. Uh, and pertaining to that miracle, Jesus it told his disciples to get in the boat, and they ran into a storm, and Jesus walked on the water, Peter walks on the water. That's, that's this story. That's the abbreviated version of John chapter 6. But going to verse 22, it's the next day. Okay? And in the next day, they're uh, on the other side of the Sea of, uh, of, of Galilee. And uh, is that morning, and multitude who had been fed the day before, uh, disciples aren't around, Jesus isn't around. Where did Jesus go? And so they start... Uh, they get into their boats, and they go across the Sea of Galilee to find uh, Jesus. And, um, and so they find Jesus on, on the other side. And um, again, they're following Jesus because Jesus is the gravy train. Okay, and they're looking for the next handout, and Jesus knows this. So in verse 28... Of chapter 5, the Bible says this. I'm sorry, uh, verse 25. Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus is getting a little bit frustrated because they're following him for all the wrong reasons. This is the the height of Jesus's popularity, and in, after John chapter six, it's all downhill for the, from uh, from there about who Jesus is or or the uh, the favoritism that Jesus has had with the multitude because he's going to say some very hard things, and he's beginning to say these in verses twenty five through twenty seven again. They are a bunch of sign seekers. Look at verse 28. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see you see and believe you and work and what what work do you perform? Can you believe he asked, they asked him that question again? Just after he fed them with five barley loaves and two fish the day before. They, they want to know another sign. Prove to us, Jesus, who you are. Verse 31. Our fathers, are the, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. 
he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so Jesus is going to go into this um, conversation now that the story that they're very familiar with, how God provided manna from heaven, bread from heaven to feed the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus wants them to know that Jesus is bread of God. Manna in the Old Testament all points to Jesus, the bread of life. It's interesting that that um, John shares this miracle on the heels of John chapter 5. Look at verse 46 and 47 of John chapter 5. Jesus was talking uh, to uh, the Pharisees. Verse 45 says, Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And then John goes into the feeding of the 5,000. And he has this conversation with uh, the, the multitude in verses 31 through 33. Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is the bread of God. Yes, Moses spoke to me, spoke about me, and I am far greater than Moses. And the bread that the Israelites received in in the Old Testament, in Exodus, that bread pointed to me. I am the bread of life. So it's no accident that G- John is recording this miracle here uh, in John chapter 6. Jesus has the ability to uh, create bread essentially out of nothing. Yes, he took a boy's five barley loaves, but it would, even a minutia of one loaf of bread wouldn't have fully satisfied, you know, an individual, one of the five plus thousand people in that crowd. Jesus was essentially creating bread out of nothing. And God, in the book of Exodus, provided manna to the Israelites out of nothing. John is wanting us to see here that Jesus is the bread of God. The Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, all point to the person of Christ. Look at verse, we read verses 32 and 33. Look at verses 47 through 51 in this text. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it 
and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 58. Jesus said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the forefathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, you have to, you have to understand that Jesus isn't speaking in physical terms right now. He's not referring to the bread he gave them uh, the day before. Jesus is speaking in spiritual language. And in order for them to understand where he's coming from, they have to have a spirit inside them. They didn't. They were just interpreting things on the surface in the flesh. And they weren't getting it. Jesus is truly the bread of life. Our eternal life. How does Jesus become our bread? Jesus says, by him laying down his life for us. Look at verse 51b again. And the bread that I will give them for the, li- for the life of the world is my flesh. That's how Jesus became our bread by sacrificing his body on the cross his flesh his flesh became our spiritual bread all nourishing all satisfying bread well how does this become our bread Jesus says you must believe that's what's required for Jesus' body, Jesus' life to become our bread is we must believe in him. Look at verse 29 of chapter 6. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't just hope for it. You've got to believe that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the bread of God. Verse 33. That's what we must believe. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you believe that? Is Jesus truly your bread that satisfies your all in all? Jesus is saying, that's who I need to be in your life. 
I don't want to just be a part of your agenda. I'm not a God who just gives you bread. I am the God who is your bread. The multitude were just following Jesus because they wanted him to give them bread. And Jesus wants to give us bread. Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God wants to give you your daily bread. God wants to bless you. God wants you to depend on him. But he doesn't want to just be a God who gives you bread. He wants to be your bread. And these people weren't there. They were only thinking in physical terms. Look at verse 63 of John 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Folks, that's why we need to have the Holy Spirit in our heart, our life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we allow him to become our Lord and Savior, we believe in what he did for us on the cross. We believe that he came back from the grave three days later. We become his child, and he gives us the gift of the Spirit. And the Spirit is there to help us interpret these things that are contained in the Word of God. We must have the Spirit. These people, they weren't connecting the dots. There were three things that they weren't getting about Jesus. They weren't getting that, uh, that Jesus was not going to triumph over Rome but he was going to be the offering for the sins of the world. Again, they were thinking in terms of physical. He's prophet. He's king. Let's take him now. He's going to conquer Rome for us. No, he he didn't come to reveal his power, to display his power to conquer Rome, but to make an offering for the sins of the world. That's the first thing they weren't dot that they weren't grasping. The second dot is Jesus was to be their food. Their everything. And they only saw his gifts as food and not Jesus. And with those two dots, they weren't able to connect the the third dot. They weren't able to see the connection between those two dots. That he becomes their everlasting food by them believing that he is the sacrifice for their sin. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. They were right. Jesus is king. But Jesus wasn't the king that they wanted him to be. He came because he wanted to rule, not Rome, but he wanted to rule man's heart. And Jesus rules our heart 
when we understand that he's our everything. I want you to know as your pastor, I always get that. In fact, if I'm honest with you, I rarely get that. Because typically I get distracted a lot. And I begin to think of other things as my bread that I need, that is going to help me, that is fully going to satisfy me. And you know what? I always run into dead ends. And I don't think I'm the only person in this room. Jesus' message to us this morning, to these people, is I want to be your bread. You're everything. And Jesus shared some very provocative and controversial things in verses 52 through 58. And if you're just hearing these with physical eyes, you think that Jesus is asking us to resort to cannibalism. Look at verses 52 through 58. And the Jews, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, I, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, I live because of, fathers, because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the, father, the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Wow, those are hard words. You know, and the Catholic Church has taken these words literally when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And they believe in transubstantiation. In essence, it means that the bread and the and the wine literally become the the bread and blood of Jesus. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Yes, we observe communion. We observe the bread and the cup. But we don't believe it becomes a literal body of Jesus. It's just symbolic. If it literally becomes the the bread and blood of Jesus, you know what? We're crucifying Jesus all over again. And Jesus was only once crucified. It is finished. And so it doesn't literally become those things. Jesus, again, is speaking in spiritual terms. This crowd didn't get it. They They thought that we literally have to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. No, this this is spiritual language. And what, in essence, Jesus is saying here, friends, it's only me that's going to satisfy your soul. 
It's only me that's going to feed and nourish your inner man. Nothing else. Not your husband. Not your wife. Not your job. Not your bank account. Not those porn sites. Not your favorite sports team. Not your house. Not your children. All those things are going to disappoint. And if you put your hope and trust in those things, your heart is going to be crushed. Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture, I want to be your bread. Because I am the only thing that's going to satisfy you. Some of you put your hope in your health. This body. Your body. I don't care how good a shape it is in. It's going to fail you. And Jesus wants you to know that he is always going to be there. So John chapter 6, Jesus says these really hard things. And then look what happens in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus was asking too much. Then verse 67, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They answered correctly. My friend, are you there? Jesus wants you to be there. Jesus loves you so much that you were worth sacrificing for. He gave up everything for you to be his child. This is the message underneath the feeding of the 5,000. May we truly take this to heart. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our only hope. Your words are life. They're life eternal. Jesus, forgive us for the way we trust in other things. 
We know it never satisfies, but we keep going back to that well. God, it doesn't help. Jesus, may we take your word seriously. And like John has told us in John chapter 6, may we believe. Believe you. Friend, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you need to confess. But would you confess it right now? Repent. Turn to Him and believe. Walk in obedience. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Christ to come into your life and for Him to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is knocking hard right now. And the best thing you could do is answer that door and let Him in. Tell Him He, you believe. He loves you. He knows you. He died for you. You might say, well, I don't have any days left. It doesn't really matter now. It's too late. No. It wasn't too late for the thief on the cross who believed and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Believe. You can't earn it. If you need to talk to a counselor this morning, we're going to sing this song, Just As I Am. And if you need somebody to pray with you this morning, I just want to invite you to dismiss yourself from where you're at and go into the dining hall, which is right behind you. There's people there who want to pray. God's here to help. God wants to be your bread. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing this song?